for us all tonight. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for not leaving us as orphans and not leaving us with any tools to defend ourselves or our faith, but you've given us your living, breathing word, the anchor for all truth. And we thank you, God, that uh, tonight we're able to gather together with a uh, powerful Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts and you in our midst, Lord, to help us to gain an understanding and a knowledge of the truth that keeps us on the straight and narrow path and help inspire us, Lord, to be better equipped, uh, more knowledgeable in your word and, and to be wise and discerning about how we share the gospel and how we can defend the faith. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to get right started. Pastor Adam is going to join us, but he has got some Awana duties, and so we are going to kill time until the expert, man, this guy knows Mormon theology and doctrine and uh, Jehovah's Witness doctrine as well. So he is going to be the one to give us a recap of what they believe, and then we're going to talk about how to share the gospel uh, with them and uh, some of our experiences, and then uh, maybe even a little bit get into broader uh, areas of questions and answers. But it was because of the uh, speakers who postponed uh, that we ended up um, going with uh, the subject of uh, sharing the gospel, uh, defending the faith uh, in light of uh, the pseudo Christian cults. And so let's talk about some definitions, and then Pastor Adam will give us a nutshell on Mormonism to begin with. And so um, apologetics comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means to make a defense. So if you were hauled into court, you had to give an apologia, right? And so apologetics now has taken on the defense of the Christian faith. And so when people say false religion or cult or heresy, uh, there's a common uh, kind of uh, theme with all of these words. But usually when you say false religion, you're talking about a big group. Uh, like Hinduism or Buddhism, an entire system. Uh, but these words can be uh, used interchangeably. When you say uh, cult, you're really thinking um, uh, in, in the way we use the word cult, uh, usually smaller and brainwashing and shunning and crazy uh, beliefs, kind of like Jim Jones back in the 60s and 70s where a thousand of his followers moved to Guyana and they, well, there was sadly a mass um, suicide there. And so when we say cult, we're thinking about things like 
the People's Temple there in San Francisco, or Scientology. Uh, they're just the wacko things uh, uh, that, like Scientology that believes, that teaches, uh, that we all come from alien life forms and that the aliens came and seeded themselves into our souls and we're working them out and... Uh, not with fear and trembling, but, uh, you know, it, it is quite a, a cult, right? And so the simple definition, though, of a cult is a religion that is regarded in an unorthodox or false uh, way. And so uh, it's either gathered around a false teacher or false doctrines. And so the word doctrine just means teaching. Uh, orthodox comes from two Greek words, to make straight and beliefs. So orthodox is a straight belief about God taken from the Bible. And so uh, pseudo-Christian cults now that we're going to talk about, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Seventh-day Adventists, or why they're called pseudo-Christian cults is because pseudo, from the Greek word, fake, right? So fake Christian is this, that they use the Bible and the same terms, but only they define the terms differently from the Bible, actual orthodox meaning of the words. And so the Jesus of the Mormons is not the Jesus of the Bible because they have other books where they define Jesus. So uh, that's really what makes them cults is that they uh, wander away, they stray away from the Christian uh, faith. And so Jesus, of course, um, gave us warnings that many false teachers and cults would arise and to the New Testament over and over and over again, guard, defend the faith, don't be deceived, stay on the straight and narrow and look at the word of God as the anchor and the measure for everything. You can go to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian Science and, and open up the Bible and just use the Bible. It's right there, very simple, where they um, stray away. And um, so what's really important as we go into this now is, is that the way that we're saved is through the message. Now, if the message has been corrupted or changed, it is no longer able to do what God designed it to do because it's not the thing. So if you're believing something that's not the gospel, the biblical sense of the gospel, which saves, the gospel is the power of salvation, Romans chapter one. So if Satan comes in and he manipulates it into something other than what it is, then it can't do what it was intended to do, which is to save. So this is a genius move on the part of the devil to tweak things enough so that you're believing in something that cannot save. And so that is true with pseudo-Christian uh, faiths and uh, false religions alike. Putting your hope in something, uh, a lifeboat with a hole in it, the side, because it's not the gospel, only the gospel can save. So that's why uh, Paul tells Timothy, watch your doctrine and your life Closely, for by enduring in sound doctrine, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, with that, we promise to start off with Mormonism, and nobody uh, knows Mormonism better on the staff and probably in this room uh, than Pastor Adam. So, can you give us a nutshell, and then maybe they have some questions? Yeah, great. Good evening, everybody. 
Uh, certainly not an expert on all these things. Yes, and, you are. Uh, we want to be an we want to be an expert, of course, in the Word of God. And you know, the illustration has been used before. The more you handle the real thing, the more you'll be able to tell the counterfeits. Right? They do that with money and, and that sort of thing. So, we want to be able to um, realize that the most important thing is not to know everything about. Uh, these other belief systems or worldviews, but the most important thing is to know the truth and be grounded in the truth. And when you do that, then you'll be able to recognize and discern error, and it can promote conversation. That's a that, great point. Yeah, that being said, uh, it, is, it is good to have some working knowledge of what other people believe so that you can at least have a foundation to be able to engage in the conversation with. Uh, Mormonism and cults in general um, are something that is uh, interesting to me because I run into a lot of people that have different worldviews. In fact, everybody kind of has a different worldview uh, to some degree, but the important thing is to have it based on truth. And Mormonism in particular is very near and dear to my heart because I have relationships, close relationships with those that belong to the Mormon church, and so I want to know what they believe and how to be able to engage with them. Uh, there are about 14 million uh, Mormons uh, or members of the of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the world, and that number keeps growing. In Bible college, I recognized uh, that a lot of people that I spoke to that were Christians even, just loved Jesus and knew the Word of God, uh, were kind of confused about Mormonism, a lot of them even thinking that Mormonism was just another denomination of the Christian faith, because we have a lot of denominations, Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, and so, you know, there's differences there, but the important thing is the essential content of the gospel, and that is not the case with the Mormon church. Um, and so I wrote a paper in Bible college called um, Are Mormons Christians? And the subtitle was Dismantling the Myth, and the idea was to use their, their actual beliefs and their writings and their literature to show that they don't even align themselves with uh, mainstream Christianity. In fact, when Mormonism started, it's all based upon a supposed revelation that uh, a treasure, young treasure seeker named Joseph Smith received um, when he asked the question to God, which sect or which Christian denomination should I join? And he, re and he tells the story that the answer he received from an angel of light uh, really actually got... God the Father and, and Jesus appeared to him in person and told him that he shall not join any of the sects because they are all an abomination in God's sight and appointed to him to become the leader uh, and the progenitor of the restored church on earth, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's called Latter-day Saints because they are saints of God that have come in the latter days to restore the gospel that was corrupted and lost from the scripture. Can I say so, one thing? Yes. Mm -hmm. Galatians 1.8 says, Paul writing, Paul says, if we or even an angel of heaven appears with a different gospel other than the gospel you have right here, let him be eternally condemned. Those yeah. are strong words. Yeah. And the very thing that his testimony is, Joseph Smith, is that an angel of light appeared. To him, mm -hmm. And so I like to go to Galatians 1.8 and just say, when they say, an angel of light came, it's like if we or an angel comes to you. So, yep, so. Exactly. Nope. That's exactly true. And that's a great scripture to bring them to. And uh, of course, you know, if, if a cult has been around long enough and there's uh, several people that are members of, of uh, that organization, then it's not the first time they're going to hear these things and they're going to have an answer that seems suitable to them, but it's still good to bring up the scripture because by faith, 
Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of Christ. So we need to bring up the scripture because they're familiar with the Bible in some, in some respects. They use the Bible. It's part, of their, um, it's part of their canon of scripture. They have three other books that they also have canonized into scripture. Um, but they are not familiar with the Bible enough to understand the differences or the contradictions between what the Bible teaches and what the church teaches. They don't read their Bibles. The main, the main uh, writing that they have is called the Book of Mormon, and undoubtedly if you, you know, have been at home at a certain time during the afternoon, you've had a Mormon missionary knock on your door and uh, want to be able to talk to you and, and share with you, and uh, one of the things that they will definitely be carrying is, is the, the Book of Mormon which supposedly is, the subtitle to it is Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And so um, their test for truth, essentially, is to uh, get you to read the Book of Mormon and to pray to God with a sincere heart. This is even written in the end of the Book of Mormon. This is the test of truth. That God may show you the truth you know, within these pages of the Book of Mormon. What is the Book of Mormon? Uh, it is fiction, essentially, but it's written in such a way that makes it seem like it's uh, truth. So a little snippet just about the Book of Mormon is, I've read the Book of Mormon, and, and I think it's a great way to be able to have that dialogue, because a lot of Mormons will say, if you haven't read the Book of Mormon, then we basically can't have a conversation. You can't say anything wrong about this and have a conversation. Well, that's not true. You can still engage them, and you can still talk to them, but if that's an obstacle, I want to be able to remove that obstacle and be able to have the conversation with them. And mm -hmm. you're supposed to ask God to give you a sign that Joseph Smith is the true prophet and Mormonism is true. And the, the way, of course, most of you know this, is they get a burning in the bosom, mm -hmm. all right, a feeling. And so when they get that, that's their testimony and confirmation that it's true. And that follows, uh, conversion follows mm -hmm. that feeling. Yeah. Right, And so a good answer to that is, is that we don't do anything on feeling. We go to the word of God. Right. Jesus said, if any man put my truth into practice, he will know whether I am sent of God the Father or not. That's so right. yeah. so different than a feeling. It's going to the truth that sets our hearts free. That's exactly right. The test of truth for us is, as Christians is of, uh, is, of course, the word of God. And if it lines up with the word of God, and somebody might argue, well, that's just blind faith, just like somebody who's putting their trust in the Book of Mormon. But there are some very extreme differences, um, and I'll just name a couple. One difference is that the Bible, unlike the Book of Mormon, was given to us, was written by more than 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years in three different continents by kings and paupers and shepherds. And it has one, uh, one harmonious message, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. On the other hand, the Book of Mormon was written by one man who claimed to have a vision and wrote down what he was reporting was uh, the word of God on these tablets that we have no evidence of that were supposedly ascended up into heaven. Um, we have no evidence of, you know, and uh, this one man's testimony and others that he deceived to believe him um, bear witness, and that's their testimony that the Book of Mormon is the word of God, Joseph Smith is the prophet uh, that God is using to restore the church, and their beliefs and teachings are based off of the teachings of those prophets and the Book of Mormon. And finally, if you read, if you read the preface to the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith's account or testimony in there is that the Book of Mormon is a 
book that is comparable to the Bible. That's how it starts off. So you can compare this to the Bible. And then at the very end, it says that he had told the brethren that you cannot get closer to God by reading any other book than this book. So what he means by comparable is it actually supersedes the Bible and is its own uh, reality and revelation of truth up against the scripture. But um, one of the things that lack for the Book of Mormon, one of the many things um, that, that is up against our faith in the Bible is, yeah, we do ultimately believe in God by faith, but we don't go to our belief blindly and without good evidence, conclusive mm. evidence that leads us to that faith. For instance, you can open the Bible and read about a city and you can find that city over in Israel or in the land of the Bible and it's either still inhabited or you can put a shovel in the ground and you can find the ruins of that city just like the Bible says. People, places, geology, uh, bibliology, the manuscripts. If you put the shovel in the ground and the places, which we don't even know where they are because they don't exist, well, they are, for the Book of Mormon, they you will not find these towns. Mm -hmm that nobody knows where they are. In the right. America, Central America and North America, places like Bountiful and, and Zarahemla, and uh, these places that don't exist. There's no maps in the Book of Mormon. There's no archeology span to support the claims of the Book of Mormon. The places, they, they have a couple of places that they say this is a spot like in, in Palmyra, New York, at the Hill Camorra, they own that land there and there's a big uh, property that the that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints own. They say a major battle took place there and millions of people were killed in that battle. And they did things like metallurgy. They made spears and, and shields and they made coins. When we put a shovel in the ground, we find those things. In Great Britain, they just found a bunch of coins belonging to William the Conqueror, had his picture on it. They found it in the ground and that's how we know about William the Conqueror. And uh, when you put a shovel in the ground to try to verify the claims of the Book of Mormon, you just simply cannot find that. There's not been a single find that has established the truth of the Book of Mormon. And its origin is questionable. Um, you know, Joseph Smith as a prophet, the Bible says that a prophet, you want to know what a prophet is? Somebody that tells what's going to happen, and it happens 100% of the time. Deuteronomy chapter 18, that's a paraphrase. Joseph Smith probably has 65 to 70 prophecies. Maybe five of them came to pass, but that's just by coincidence. The other ones did not. In fact, they, something opposite happened. One of his prophecies, and again, my heart is for not to win an argument, but to win souls that's within the context point. of Mormonism. Because so, you can be really right about something and really totally wrong in the way you yeah. go about it. I'll give you an example of... A pro of a prophecy that Joseph Smith made. He said that there are inhabitants upon the moon. You can actually find this at byu.edu, their own website. One thing that the Mormon church does really well is they keep great records. They have records of everything, all of their conferences, all of their meetings, all of their literature. They have all of that. And you can actually go and view their literature and find these in their own writing. It's not just something that somebody put, you know, anti-Mormons are promoting to try to defeat Mormonism. Uh, it's there in their own writing. And there's a prophecy that uh, Joseph Smith said during this fascination about space. There were some scientific things that happened. And one of the prophets said, yeah, Joseph Smith, as early as 1936, was saying that there are inhabitants in the moon. And finally, science is proving them right. They grow to be about six feet tall. They live for a thousand years. And they dress in the manner of Quakers. That's an exact quote from their literature. I asked a Mormon missionary about this when we were sitting down talking, and I said, did you know that this writing is in there and that Joseph Smith made this prophecy? 
And uh, he said no, and he said this, and I was beside myself when he said this. He said, if Joseph Smith did make that prophecy, then I wanna leave room to believe that that might be true. And I just looked at him like, I don't know where to go with this conversation because I, I think that that's you know, ridiculous. But there are so many reasons. And so basically the bottom line is, you're telling me to read the Book of Mormon and pray to God to see if it would be true and without any evidence otherwise that supports the Book of Mormon with, and the, per, the, or, the origin of the Book of Mormon is questionable, there is nothing that supports the claims of the Book of Mormon, there are contradictions in the Book of Mormon to the scripture, but you're asking me to take it on a simple prayer of faith and, and, a to, and, and, to have this, and to have this feeling that it's true. That is not the test of faith that the Bible talks about. The Bible says, test all things and cling to what is true. So when I read the Book of Mormon, of course I was praying to God, God just lead me in truth, just like I would pray about anything else. And I felt like the Lord said to me, how did you discover the Bible to be true? Um, you know, back when I was 23 years old and was confronted with the truth of the gospel. And my answer was through investigation. And I felt the Lord say, well, investigate the, the claims of the Mormon church. So I actually have been working on another outline and essay called Investigating the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and basically just an outline of all the things that I find within their teaching and contradictions in the Book of Mormon and false prophecies and things like that. Can I just give you one example of verifiable truth? Verifiable truth, that's the Bible. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, date, name, Pontius Pilate, name, being governor of Judea, position, city, and Herod, name, title, being tetrarch, title, of Galilee, place, and his brother Philip, name, tetrarch, position, of the region of Iturea and Trachonidas, and Licinius, another name, tetrarch of Abilene, not Scotland, during the high priesthood, during the high, he's not done, this is one sentence, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, two, a position and two names, the word of God came to John, another name. Now the word of God is coming into verifiable truth with people and places and dates that you can verify. This is, and it goes on, I could go on. And uh, mm -hmm. that's just a wonderful thing that we have something that where you can put a shovel in the earth or you can go to secular history books and find out about these same people. In fact, secular history goes and depends on the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament yeah. to support a lot of what is taught in history classes, comes yeah. from uh, the Bible. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's all through the Bible. Looking at Luke chapter, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 says the same thing. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who are from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of, of the word. Listen to this, verse 3. 
Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In other words, there's eyewitnesses, mm -hmm. there's investigation, there are things that are being done, just like the Bereans did when they heard something, to go to the Word of God, to check it out for themselves, and to make sure that what they're hearing lines up with truth, so that they can be walking in the truth. Uh, probably good to say, you know, ultimately what the major concern is with Mormonism. Um, there's really two doctrines. There's so many doctrines, so many teachings that they have that are opposed to truth. But the main, the two main doctrines that they have are, re are, rega are regarding the deity um, of God, the nature of God, I should say, and the nature of salvation. You know, um, A.W. Tozer opened up his book, I think, The Knowledge of the Holy, with this line. He said, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Think about that. That's true for everybody at any time and at any place in the world. What you think about God, what you believe about God, is the most important thing about you because that's going to shape and change your life and, and direct your life. If you're an atheist, you don't believe in a God, and your behavior and your life and your worldview are going to follow that belief. Uh, if you are a Muslim, then your belief about God, Allah, is going to direct your affairs in your life and your, and your behavior. And you better get busy. And it's get true busy. of us, too. If you're a Christian, then what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. To some degree, each of us has a different theology. We have a different understanding of God. But the most important thing is to consult his word, the standard of truth, the plumb bob uh, that directs us according to truth. And, and helps us to understand more and more who God actually is. The error of the Mormon church is this. The main, one of the, the doctrines tied to really salvation, the main error is something called eternal progression. In other words, that they believe that they can progress eternally to one day themselves become a God. Now, where did you hear that in Genesis chapter 3? Oh, oh God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because you will become like God the same there it is yeah. the lie it's the same lie has god has god really said so eternal progression has to do with the the teaching that if you abide by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints ordinances and commands they call that the gospel the tricky thing is they use a lot of the same terms but their terms mean different things mm -hmm. gospel to them really means the fullness of all the teachings and the ordinances of the church itself something completely different than what it means to us the gospel to us means 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3, through, 3 through 5, that Christ died according, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, mm -hmm. that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. That's the gospel to us. But the gospel to them is the adherence to all of the commands and ordinances established within the church. And in order to become a god, you have to obey those ordinances. You have to be... Um, worthy enough to uh, par participate in the sacraments of the Mormon church so that you can eternally progress to become a God yourself. Leonard Snow, the 10th president of the Mormon church, said that he coined this phrase, as, God, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man can become. That's the prophet of the church. It's not just somebody saying this. It's, it's somebody they put their trust and hope in uh, for, for a revelation of truth. 
And so the, the idea of obeying the ordinances is so that one day you can become a god. By the way, Mormons are polytheistic, which means they believe in millions of gods. They'll tell you that they only believe in one god, the god with whom we have to do, which is our god here, and, Elohim. And that's, they're quoting a scripture when they say, as for us, we only have to do with this god. Right, yeah. so we only believe in one God, but they're quoting a line from Corinthians when they say that. Yeah. As for us, we have, there's only one God, right. right? But they believe that Adam became a God, that Adam had a father who was God, and he had a father who was God, and they all, there's this eternal progression of men who became gods. And yeah. that all Mormon males will one day become a God and be married eternally and populate planets with their spirit babies. Polygamous marriages, uh, having endless yeah. so, ability to prepare spirit babies and, and create their own That's earth why they have, have big families, earth. because God has all these spirit babies that need a body. And so the idea is they're doing a good deed by having multiple yeah. uh, bodies to fill uh, for these spirit babies. Let's talk about how to deal with them. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give you an out if you want one. Second uh, John, uh, I believe it's chapter 2, uh, really says when false teachers come to your door that you have the full permission and it would be wise if you don't have a calling on your life uh, to deal with them uh, that you close the door politely and say, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe Jesus is Lord. Good day. Um, you, are in, uh, you are in wise territory, uh, especially if you yourself are, uh, don't have a, a good command of the scriptures or an understanding of them. The Bible says, no, you don't, you don't, you don't encourage them or, or give way to them in that way. So uh, many of you do have a good command of the scriptures and do have a compassion for these people and you want to take a stab at it. And so, you know, um, you may, with God's blessing. And uh, yeah. the, the uh, first thing I want to say is, is that use your testimony. They don't have a Christian testimony because they don't have Christian conversion. They don't have new life. They haven't been buried with Christ and raised uh, and become a new creation. So when you talk about my Jesus and let me tell you what my Lord has done for me and how much I love him, I've never heard a Mormon ever talk like that because that's a born again uh, thing. Mm -hmm. And so they don't share, nobody in the cult shares a Christian testimony, and there's power in that. They overcame the devil, Revelation 12 or 13 says, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony about the blood of the lamb, how we were cleansed from our sins and have eternal life and we're new creations. Mm -hmm. It's powerful, so don't feel like you have to know all of this stuff, and so you can, I mean, really, God gifts people, men, to pastor and to know these scriptures, right? So you don't have to feel bad that I, I can, I'm so lost in there, I can never remember where John 3.16 is. Mm -hmm. That would be hard not to know where <laughs> John 3.16 is. But it, don't feel, God, you, that's not your gift. You have other gifts that we don't have. And so, um, yeah, talk about your testimony and then kindness and love 
kindness and love goes a long way with anybody you're sharing the gospel with. And lots of Bible verses, just mm -hmm. Bible, 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 Bible. They always have an out with, well, we believe the Bible as far as it's translated correctly. And so they always have an out no matter what you say. So yeah. it's just coming down to praying for a spiritual awakening mm -hmm. uh, in their uh, hearts and lives, right? Yeah, and the and you know the other doctrine of the doctrine of salvation that's tied to their doctrine of it's called exaltation to become one day become a god themselves. The doctrine of salvation is skewed because of that because it's works based, and that's going to be the theme about pretty much every world religion or cult that we talk about. And that's the major underlying error is that I can be good enough to obtain salvation, and the Bible does not teach that. The Bible contradicts that and says, no, you're not good enough. That's why you need to right. trust in Jesus as your Savior. And so when you are sharing with really anybody, and this is kind of like this, probably the summary sentence of this entire night, is that they need, to, they need to, to know their need for Jesus. And part of that comes through the law. So what I say with, to people is, do you think you could really be good enough to earn God's favor and to go to heaven? You can't have assurance of eternal life if it depends on your own good works because you won't know until you get there. But the Bible teaches that you can have assurance. First John chapter 5 and verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I have assurance. So the bottom line is letting them know the error that, that they have no matter who it is, anybody, even, even, a, even a nominal Christian, somebody who says they believe in God, the law teaches us our need for Christ. And hey. so as long as you know the law, which you have in your heart, have you ever lied? Yeah, I've told a lie before. You stand condemned before God and you need a savior. So Galatians 3.24 says, the law came to teach us our need for Christ. It's like a school tutor. It's like a schoolmaster saying, you're never gonna be good enough. That's why you need Christ. So, so all uh, things in common they have this, you have to do something or sign up with them to be saved. So the John 3.16, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10 and verse 13, all of these, they can't explain that. It's like uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses were in line after lunch. You can always tell what they look like. You know, they're always dressed up with briefcases and things like that. And so I saw some and I was talking to them and they said, oh, are you a witness? So, and I said, no, but I'm going to heaven. And it's like, well, what church do you belong to? And they love to do that because of course you're not going to church unless you go to Kingdom Hall. So what church do I go to? Well, I go to the church of whosoever. And they said, well, I've never heard of the church of whosoever. And I said, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they were like, oh, John 3.16. Do I have to belong to anything except put my faith in the gospel, biblically gospel preached Jesus? And so uh, you've got questions. So who's got a question? I saw a hand. There's one over here. There's one right there. Tony. We have a mic coming around too. So Here it comes, uh, yeah, so we can catch it on the that's right. recording. Yes, could you explain the, uh, the Mormon Jesus and his relationship with Lucifer? Well, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. brothers. You didn't know that? Half brothers. Half brothers. So they uh, essentially uh, Elohim the God of the Bible, that's, his, that's the Hebrew word that's used for God in the Old Testament, Elohim. Uh, so that's his name in the Mormon church. 
um, he and his council uh, had basically created earth and they said, who's gonna kind of be in charge of, of the people on earth? And Lucifer said, I wanna be in charge and make them all love us. And Jesus, they were the eldest brothers, half brothers. Jesus said, no, we want them to have free will and let them decide to love us. And so a vote was cast and, and the council went with Jesus' idea and Lucifer got really upset about it and came down to earth to mess up that, that plan. So Jesus, according to the teachings of the, of the church, most Mormons probably don't know this, most just run-of-the-mill Mormons. Um, even a lot of the missionaries don't know this because they, they want to identify now with more mainstream Christianity. You know, their, their membership started to plateau, and then, of course, they ran for the presidency with Mitt Romney, who's Mormon. And so they want to be able to identify with mainstream beliefs and worldviews. So they kind of downplay yeah. their, their teachings that are contrary to the Bible. And even if you, if you, back in the day, they would say, I'm not a Christian like you are because we're the restored church. You're, you belong to a church that's an abomination. But today, they want to identify and they say, I'm a Christian too, and I believe the same things that right. you do, but ultimately they're going to get you to deny that your church is a true church, and they're going to get you to proclaim that the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the restored church. And there, many of them don't know these teachings, but it's in, their, it's in their literature. That's why I like to bring it to Mormon missionaries. I bring it from their website and say, this is what you believe. What's your answer for this? And they say, we haven't seen this before. We have to get back to you. And I say, yeah, please. Bring me an yeah. answer for this. We'll so get that's the relationship. Yeah. All right, somebody else. Willie. Um, you had mentioned on the Mormons talk about salvation, and I was wondering, do they really, they have a doctrine of sin because salvation, their definition is rescue or deliverance. Mm -hmm. So what are they being delivered from? You know, what are they trying, you know? Heaven I mean, and hell. What's heaven and hell for yeah. the Mormons? Yeah, so they, they, they do have a doctrine of sin. They don't believe in uh, original sin in the sense that we have inherited a sinful nature. So there's an idea that we are basically good. That's why we can achieve this progress of eternal progression. Um, they don't believe that we're born dead in our sin and transgression according to what we've inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve, and according to our decision. And that's why they don't need to be born again, mm -hmm. because they don't believe that they're spiritually dead in the first place. Yeah, they have a def that definition for being born again. When you turn eight years old in the Mormon church, you're baptized into the church, and that's when you're born again. Uh, but it really doesn't have to do with the context of what Jesus is talking about um, yeah, in regards much. to a, an actual encounter with God where he transforms your life and brings you from darkness to light and from death to life. So... Um, so essentially, you know, the, the idea is that hell, eternal punishment, they call it prison, um, really, it, really you can be saved from that even beyond this life. So they have baptisms for the dead mm -hmm. where they can uh, basically intercede for somebody who's died that isn't a Mormon. That's their answer for what about all the people up to the Mormon church? Well, we can, we can kind of retro them into this eternal, this option of eternal progression by, by dying for them or by being baptized for them. And so um, the doctrine of salvation is that Jesus provides general salvation to everybody because of this fallen world and the sin that we commit. But, uh, but that exaltation is accomplished through your works and obedience to the ordinances of, of the church. So the sin is downplayed and therefore 
whenever sin is downplayed, the holiness of God is also downplayed. So, so. they love to baptize in proxy for the dead. So uh, with the idea that they are able to save those by faith and baptize uh, for dead people who have already passed yeah. the... Because they believe the baptism is, water baptism is necessary and, for salvation. And so they point to the scripture where Paul says, and this is confusing and I'm going to bring it out for you, where Paul says to people who are doubting a physical resurrection, he says, if there's no resurrection, then why are people baptizing for the dead? He's pointing to a custom that everybody knows people do out there. Well, what, what, is it, what are they thinking when those people out there baptize for the dead? Of course, they're believing. Even they believe that there's a heaven and there's a resurrection. A resurrection. Yeah. Right? So that's Paul's point. It would be like saying, you know, if there's no afterlife, uh, who, are the, who are the fortune tellers talking to? You, you know, or that kind of thing. He's not endorsing it. He didn't tell us to do it. He's using it as an example of the common thought out there in the world. They even know that there's a resurrection. So that's the point there. Mm -hmm. Another question. Lee. Sorry. What is their motive? Um, they seem way more aggressive than we are. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. In, in evangelizing, yeah, you're you. saying, right, Lee? So they seem like they're going door to door. They're doing all these things. Yeah. Why are they so motivated? If, right. Yeah. Right. And they love to ask us, why aren't you doing it? Right. Right. Well, we say we are. In our lives, we're letting our light shine uh, in a way for others to see our good works and give praise to God. And we're fishing for men, too. We just don't uh, wear ties and ride bikes. Right. <laughs> Go ahead. Have Adam explain the... Yeah. So they, um, their, their, their motive is, and this is true with like Jehovah's Witnesses as well, it's, it's a part, like you have to go on, you yeah. have to go on mission, yeah. and part of mission, like you, you hardly ever see a, a Mormon that belong, that's a member of the church that's not on mission sharing their faith with somebody else. It's very rare. It does happen, but it's very rare. Um, because you kind of get that done in the two years between high school and college, that's your calling, and it's a very big deal to go and do that, and your temple ordinances kind of depend upon your participating in that. So it's, it's a really a part of the, etern part of the eternal membership. progression. So yeah. here's, the, here's yeah. the thing. I would sum summarize it this way. If you believe that in order to get to heaven or to be a god or whatever, you have to tell people about your religion, then aren't you going to do it? You are. Now, we believe you don't have to do that. So, you know, in some ways they do that better than we do because we know that we're saved. We care less about other people getting right. saved in some ways. They're caring about their own salvation. That's why they do it. It's part of their salvation. For us, we can sit on our couch and be saved. But yes, we ought to be going out and sharing the, the gospel. Witnesses. They are out right. there as a duty and they have a list of things they have to do if they're expecting to even be in one of the tiers of their heavens. You yeah. know? So. And the underlying motive is to grow the church and to make it a bigger entity. There's a lot of money in Mormonism. I'm not saying it's all about money, but I'm saying from the, the overall scheme of this is to grow and expand this worldview. And don't yep. forget that we have an enemy that prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so who is the prince of the power of the air? Who is the God who is small g, 
who is a ruling, in, from the Bible's point of view, the God, small g, that rules this world is the devil who is the father of lies, who wants to deceive. So he's in the mix there. So there's a lot of passion and a lot of growth and a lot of frenzy and a lot of look at them. They're such good people. And, you know, comparatively speaking, they're good people, mm -hmm. right? But good people don't go to heaven and bad people go to right. hell. Saved people go to heaven and unsaved people perish. Mm -hmm. So another question, or we'll go on to another, yeah. Speaking of money, um, I know that one of the arguments that we'll hear is that your staff is paid mm -hmm. and none mm -hmm. of the church, mm -hmm. nobody in our church is paid. But at the end of the year, I know that they have to like give their bank statements to their bishop. Where is all their money going? Mm -hmm. It's going into restoring the temples that they have. It's going into... Have you ever seen the beautiful lawns of every single... And the yeah. beautiful... Do you know how many millions of dollars it would take to put a beautiful Mormon church on the corner? They, oh, yeah. Wow. They spend over $100 million in marketing alone. Um, to be able to get their message out. No doubt you've seen television commercials. Mm -hmm. You see ads. Oh, and you have to tie. Internet On the internet, a lot of pages you're on, it has nothing to do with religion. And on the side, it'll be an ad for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day right. Saints. And th th that brings up a good question. I've actually had that conversation with somebody before. And the, the, the Bible, the Apostle Paul, gives a reason for, a justification for uh, ministers of the gospel to be supported by the work. He says those who preach the gospel ought to make their living off the gospel. How else are you going to be able to continue the work of the ministry and the gospel if the gospel work isn't supporting you? If you have a nine-to-five job, you're going to have a hard time also handling the affairs of a growing church community. All so, three of us would be working maybe tonight or all day today, and we wouldn't be able to be here. So 1 Corinthians 9 is where... Uh, it is ordained by God that those who preach the gospel should be supported, make their living by the gospel. And so... That's not know, to say we have to be paid that because way. Because Paul laid down there. that right, especially yeah. when they were using it by saying, Paul's come into town because he's just after your money. Right. So he said, you know what, I'm going to pull the rug out from under that mm -hmm. uh, by not asking you for a dime. Yeah. But he did receive offerings from the Philippians, mm -hmm. and they supported him through his whole missionary journeys. And so he was just wise about when it was time uh, to receive, he could receive. And when the Holy Spirit said, no, not wise. It's right a stumbling here. block. It's yeah. going to cause people to... We got another question. Yeah. Miss Ann. Yeah. And then we'll go on to some general sharing the gospel things. This may be repetitive. I'm confused. <laughs> So they believe in Christ's sacrifice as our Passover, and they believe in sin just differently from us, and mm -hmm. sin is minimized? No, they don't believe. Well, when they say Christ, they mean somebody else, oh. right? So it's not like they're saying, well, we believe in Jesus, that he died for our ransom payment, right? Well, describe who you're talking about, and then you find out, well, you know, it would be like, telling me that you believe you know Ross and then you know you know Ross he's got a full head of hair and he's got five children and it's like dude you got the wrong Ross right mm -hmm. so when they say Christ it's it's a different Christ so. their version of Jesus mm -hmm. accomplished uh, atonement for general salvation in other words he paid for sin so that because we do sin that could be paid for but it's my job 
to get saved and be exalted. He, he just made it possible. He, he, paid, he atoned for sin in such a way that sin's not going to affect me anymore. And he provided general salvation in that sense. They don't believe in hell, a place where you experience eternal punishment. Neither do the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe in something called annihilationism, Mm -hmm. which means the soul is just vanquished and you cease to exist. And over and over in the New Testament, it says that you are conscious, you are eternal. Mm -hmm. And that whether you're eternally in heaven, enjoying the presence of God, or eternally perished, Mm -hmm. that you exist forever in that state. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, a very big difference. There's kind of this shift, you know, because Mormons used to really know what they believed and what the Mormon uh, church taught. Mm -hmm. Now it's a little different because of this idea that it's just another mainstream denomination. There are people that don't know what Mormonism teaches, and therefore they might have a more accurate understanding of who Jesus is than, than in days past. I don't rely on that. I just assume that they don't actually know Christ. I think that's the safer avenue. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for a Mormon to be saved? Is it possible to, for anybody to be saved if they're like the woman at the well who says, look at this man who told me everything I ever know. I should probably put my hope and my you trust in him. You can get saved in Catholicism mm-hmm. but accidentally mm-hmm. because there's a lot of gospel in Catholicism. And I'm sorry, if you're trusting in Mary and you're praying in your hour of death, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our death, and you're, you're trusting Mary to intercede for you, you're lost, because it's not going to happen. But if you're listening and paying attention, I've met plenty of Catholics who are bear witness, like, well, this person knows the Lord, mm-hmm. right? But it's in spite of all of the bad teaching. I think I've met one Mormon missionary that I, we felt in our house, his name is James, that I just felt like this dude, he knows the Lord, but he's trapped in there. And then if you really know the Lord, I think the Lord will, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He'll lead you out. Right. Mm-hmm. He'll lead you out yeah. into all of all truth. Let me share a little uh, testimony of dealing with Mormons that you might uh, enjoy and take some insight over. In Japan, of all places. Uh, we had a ministry. We lived there for four years. Right at about year one, so we have three years left, we're riding in the car. We've got three kids in the back, uh, under five, and uh, there were Mormon missionaries, and I rolled down the window, and then we're riding along the Saigawa River, and I'm, I'm yelling out, Isaiah 4310, which says, I am the Lord. There's only one God. Besides me, there are no gods formed. And, and he pulls up at a stop sign and he says, what are you yelling about? And I said, I was just hearing Isaiah 4310. It's so nice to speak in English and talk to somebody. And I, it just reminds me of being home. And he goes, when are you guys going to invite us over for dinner? And, and I'm like, tomorrow night, you know, come on over for dinner. So they came over for dinner. We had an American couch that no Japanese places had. We, we got it from a thrift store that nobody wanted because it's a couch. They don't sit in couches. And we had ESPN on a cable. You know, we had uh, three kids and a dog. No, I don't even know where I found the dog, but we had a dog. So we had this American household with three little kids. They fell in love with the family and they wanted to hang out. And we said, under one condition, we will feed you. We are not Bible bashing, but we, will, we can Bible bash at the ramen shop uh, on Tuesday nights. 
So that'll be our Bible bashing time. And, but here, we just are going to enjoy one another's company. They went home. One of them wrote on, after a few times at our house, wrote on the wall our phone number, and it said, really cool, somebody told us this, really cool Protestant family. Uh, we'll feed you. They've got kids and a dog and ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> and so 24 couples, of, they change partners every six weeks. And so when that old guy got the new guy, the old guy would bring the new guy over for dinner and introduce us to the new guy. And then in six weeks, the old guy would go and a new guy would come. And this went on for three years. Yeah, so we had more of a ministry to the Mormon missionaries than what we were doing in Japan, uh, hindered with the language and all of that. We had a good ministry there. It was productive, but uh, really, and we found that it was the loving it was uh, one, one thing that happened. They have to do good deeds and log in hours of service. And so uh, they heard that we don't have any... Uh, they do not babysit in Japan. There's no such concept. Uh, babysitting? What does that mean? Right? So uh, they said, we'll babysit for you guys. Yes. And so, I mean, we let them babysit. They were like our friends. And so they babysit. And, and uh, we'd go out and bring them back pie or something, you know. I don't think it was pie, it was probably mochi. But um, yeah, so uh, we, we had an impact. And then one of them went home a year later. He came back to see us in Japan from Washington, rang our doorbell, just, just felt loved. Mm -hmm. Love them, give your testimony, pray for them because you know what? Your many words or your Bible knowledge is not going to open anybody's eyes. It's got to be the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. You know, while I'm talking to somebody who is close and, and, you know, I'm praying while I'm talking to them, God, please, you have to do something, you know, or it's a waste of time. Really, it's not going to work. We do our part and then God brings the boom, right? All right, who's yeah. got another question? We'll talk about uh, sharing the gospel now, so in a wider way, maybe conflicts or uh, mm -hmm. a, a people group that you have a particularly hard time with. Um, anybody got a question about that? And we can talk about evangelism for a bit. And then while we're waiting for the mic to go over there, just a couple of scriptures. And Pastor Ross mentioned one and made me think of it. I'm holding up a book. I have some resources up here if you want to check them out. The only reason I'm opening this book is because he has the list of scriptures uh, kind of... Um, you know, in a way that, that uh, just puts them all in one place. So I wanted to read these. So starting in Isaiah 43 through Isaiah 46, those chapters, there's verses peppered through those chapters that God, where God says, I am the only God, not, not just one God among many, but the only God. Here's a few examples from Isaiah 45. This is verse five. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Pretty clear, right? Verse 14, surely God is with you and there is no other, there is no other God. Isaiah 45, 21, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all you the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. And there's another place where 
In verse, uh, chapter 46 and verse 9, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And there's another place he says, I know not one. Now, if God doesn't know that there are other gods, then how can the Mormon church know that there are other gods? It's a special so, revelation. So the point is, is that the Bible, you know, anytime somebody begins to teach their own things, eventually they're going to either contradict themselves or contradict the scripture. And so really the most important thing is to get familiar with the word of God. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be able to discern that, the, the difference there. Angela. You had a question? Yeah, I love that. Um, I have a sister-in-law who is, and I think I've asked this of you before, and this is a different cult, so this isn't Mormonism or JWs, mm -hmm. but it's called The Way. Yeah. Have you heard of the way? And I, I believe what they believe in is that Jesus is not God and that there's no deity there. Um, I've tried to talk to her about it, and she just goes off on all kinds of things. But what's her, what's her view on scripture? Oh, the word of God is very important. Right. Uh, they read the King James Version, mm -hmm. and so okay. it can get confusing. I don't know. I know, but there's so many scriptures that point out the deity of Christ. Yeah. I mean, so many. I, I went, you know, you hear it from the pulpit mm -hmm. Sunday after Sunday. But um, when somebody doesn't want to believe the mm -hmm. truth, you know, to be in a kind of a spiritual stupor, right? They 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 almost want to be deceived, and it seems like um, they live in that deception to where you can say. You know, Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. Mm -hmm. And if and if in Isaiah it says there's only one God, there is no other God, and the New Testament, Jesus is calling himself God, mm -hmm. then we're going to have to figure out that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, God and the Word made his dwelling with us in flesh. So now the one God wrapped himself in flesh, and was dwelling among us by the Holy Spirit. Now we've got Elohim, which is plural in the Old Testament. Elohim, the gods, is one. Hero Israel, the Lord is one. The word is Elohim, not El. El is God. Elohim is gods. Whenever you say plural. whenever you see Im at the end of a Hebrew word, it's, it means it's plural. The gods, plural, singular verb, mm -hmm. is one. It's like saying, yeah, the gods is one. The gods is one. So he's just trying to say, listen, there's three persons, one God. Mm -hmm. And Jesus Christ is the second person of the deity, the Godhead, I should say. Mm -hmm. All right, another question about uh, evangelism in general. You might ask her um, what her plan for salvation is and then try to go from there to see if it's works-based, because apart from an atoning sacrifice from the God-man Jesus Christ, there's, there's no other, you know, there's no other saving hope. So. And then once things are already, you've said everything that you need right. to say to whoever it is you're witnessing to, and the knowledge has been exchanged, and there's been a little bit of a pushback, and now your relationship is stressed, that's the time where no more words, no mm. more words unless God really opens a door. Pray for them and, and wait for them to engage. And then they... acts of kindness and acts of love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Somebody else with a general a question. question. Jackie. What do Seventh-day Adventists believe? Seventh-day Adventists believe? Seventh-day Adventists believe? The core tenet is, is that 
the Ten Commandments and the law are applicable today. Mm -hmm. So they're known by saying the Sabbath is still the Sabbath on Saturday, mm -hmm. and you need to keep that and a whole bunch of other things as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. The reason why Protestants don't go too hard on Seventh-day Adventists is because they believe Jesus is God in the flesh, and they believe that you have to have faith in him to be saved, and they're, they're, they pretty much have Jesus enough to where you could become a Christian, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they are instead with a whole bunch of things, but the modern Seventh-day Adventist pastors are, are minimizing um, uh, Ellen G. White, mm -hmm. Ellen Prophets, White's... Yeah. Right? Teachings, yeah. yes. Yeah. I got it. Ellen G. White, right? Yeah. I get her mixed up with Mary Baker Eddy uh -huh. of the... Christian, Christian science, science yeah. <laughs> right? Two women, right? You you remember where? I'm sorry, I have to go here. Where the Bible says, "I do not permit a woman to pastor, mm -hmm. to exercise authority over man, men." Mm -hmm. They have, and he goes back to creation, and he says. For the man was not deceived, it was the woman who was deceived. Mm -hmm. So Paul's explanation via the Holy Spirit, why men are to be in the pulpit, is, is that there's a, what, what, a tendency inherent, mm -hmm. not only for the man to be protecting, right? right. But there's something uh, vulnerable about uh, a woman's uh, spirit. So now that yeah. we prayed no. for that question to not be asked tonight and God <laughs> answered our prayer and just had Pastor Ross go right. ahead and so answer it without asking. So there'll be plenty of parking so. spaces on Sunday <laughs> because there'll be some missing cars. No. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, well, and yeah, another uh, another question. Basically, uh, Seventh-day Adventist is there's a lot of legalism within the original And let me book. just say this. Men have messed up the world way worse than any woman could ever do it, all right? We're, that's just a small piece of the pie, and we have to take our hits, ladies, and, you know, mm -hmm. all right, moving on. I want to say, too, that with Ellen G. White, they hold that her writings are right in line with the Bible. Yeah, well, that's, that's what same, cults do. Yeah, yeah, the same inspiration. Yeah, Joseph Smith, yeah. uh, Muhammad. It's, so that's part of that. Right. And if you want to, Jackie, if you want to see kind of <clears throat> scripture deal with that, a great example is Paul dealing with the Judaizers mm -hmm. uh, and the, the circumcision. See how seriously he treats that. Uh, that little thing. They believe this, 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 and this but they add one little thing to it and just see, read the book of Galatians and see how seriously Paul takes that. Uh, and there's a, well, there's a teaching amongst the leadership, early leadership of the SDA church, Seventh-day Adventist church, that to worship on Sunday is the mark, mark, mark of, of the, the beast. beast. And so again, whenever you put your trust yeah. in a person to interpret the scriptures and have authority over what the scriptures say, um, that is going to lead you into, in, into trouble. Now, again, not, not everybody a part of the SDA church believes that. So there are, I think there are brothers and sisters in Christ in the SDA church. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. Um, Colossians chapter 2, yeah. Paul was having people who said, oh, it's the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. And he said, don't let anybody just uh, upset you mm -hmm. about keeping new moon festivals or keeping the Passover, or keeping Jewish uh, holidays. Mm -hmm. And then he says, or a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. He says, these are just shadows. 
that if you want to keep the Sabbath, you're free to keep the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep all the days, keep all the days. Right. But in Christ, Christ is our Sabbath. Yes. Yeah. And so the Sabbath is a picture of Jesus. And in Christ, the Sabbath has been fulfilled. We enter into his rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anytime a church kind of builds its doctrine around, I mean, the, the SDA church, Seventh-day Adventist, literally means that we need to continue to keep the Sabbath. That's the name of the church. Um, and like, like uh, Pastor Ross said, we believe that the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. In him, we find our rest. Now, is there still a, good, a great principle to take a day of rest from work? Yeah, I think it promotes health. It gives you an opportunity to lay yourself before the Lord and, and have uh, you know, sweet fellowship with him and be refreshed. Um, but as Paul says, one man esteems another day higher than another day, and that's a matter of conscience, not a matter of salvation. How do you witness the Jews? It depends on the Jew. If the Jew was raised like me, kind of like a Gentile, my dad loved my mom's pork chops. Uh, we didn't go to synagogues, uh, but my dad loved saying we are Jews, right? But, but we never lived like Jews. So then you witness to them like you would witness to anybody else. Because when you say, oh, but what about Isaiah 53? And they go, Isaiah? They don't even know that, right? So then you have a Jew who is a practicing Jew. Don't try to convert them to Christianity. Help them to see they're completing their, their Jewishness, that they're becoming a completed Jew, that this is the Messiah of Israel. And the, the New Testament is, has 890 quotations from the Old. The New Testament is a running commentary on the Old. And so it's the Jewish Christian faith, but just minimize the, the, the need to become a Christian, even though that's what, what's happening. But what's also happening is that they don't lose their Jewishness, that they, they maintain their Jewish identity, only they're completed now mm -hmm. because they've received the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. Debbie. 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 You spend quite a bit of time talking about the Mormons, but mm -hmm. could you spend more time on the seventh, uh, the Jehovah Witness? Because I have someone yeah. that's working with me that is. Can yeah. you nutshell it? Yeah, really? nutshell it. So essentially the same, it's the same bottom line issue that you mm -hmm. obtain salvation through your own works and efforts. So that's what needs to be addressed. Do you really think you could be good enough? So Charles to get to T. Heaven? Russell mm -hmm. is their Joseph Smith. Yeah, All Charles right? T. Russell. In the 1800s, right? He, he grew came. up in a Christian family and he, um, he was going to church, I think in Pennsylvania, had a problem with the Bible, didn't like the doctrine of hell, didn't like, right. um, and if, the, jump, if you don't jump, like the jump, doctrine jump. of hell, then, you, then it's connected to salvation because what are we being saved from? through the atoning work of Christ on the cross, if it's not from hell and, and eternal wrath and condemnation from, from God, Just, justice, right? God's judgment. So Jesus so. is a created being mm -hmm. equal to really is Michael the archangel in another form. And so there's so many scriptures that, yeah. that can kind of, it's it, stick on uh, my advice when you're dealing with people, if you're gonna engage them doctrinally, stick with Jesus as uh, the deity because mm -hmm. that's the kingpin of the whole thing, mm -hmm. right? And the works of how you get to heaven. Well, they may not even think there is a heaven. If but, Jesus um, isn't God, then there is a works-based element to your salvation because Jesus himself 
went to heaven and he was just a man. So just like Jesus as just a man, I could make it to heaven through my good works as well. But Jesus has to be fully God. He has to be fully man. He has to be fully man to identify us as men in our sin. And he has to be fully God in order to pay the penalty that we owe to God, an eternal penalty. We've broken God's law countless times and we could never afford to pay that. And a perfect man cannot pay that for us. He doesn't have to pay for his own crimes. If he's perfect, he has no crimes. But he can't pay for our crimes. He has to be God. He has to be eternal. That's why God himself became a man, 100% God, 100% man, to lay his life down for us so he could pay for the sins of men as a man for all eternity against the eternal God as God. So bottom line for Jehovah's Witnesses is they don't believe that anybody besides the first 144,000 people to become members of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is the name of their organization, um, that only the 144,000 will go to heaven. So they'll laugh at you when you say that you're going to go to heaven. And uh, they'll say that you'll be on paradise earth. But it's accomplished through good works. And One thing that they get better than Christians, the millennial kingdom, they laugh when we say going to heaven because they understand that heaven comes down and Christ rules here on a renewed earth. That's biblical. Mm -hmm. So they talk about the coming kingdom, not going to heaven, even though you can say going to heaven because, yeah. uh, because that's where we go When first. I say go to heaven, I usually clarify the presence of God. When I'm in the presence of God, that's where heaven is, like the full presence of God where we can be with him. Um, where he dwells and lives, you know. So I clarify that because I know they're going to raise an eyebrow or roll their eyes when I say that I'm, I know I'm going to heaven based off of Christ's finished work. But again, it just has to do with wh where are you placing your hope. And, and something I like to challenge them with is if you died today, do you know that you'd be in heaven? If they're going to be honest, whatever religion they're a part of, if they're going to be honest, they would have to say no. Either, they're, either they are, uh, don't understand their own teaching or they're arrogant, yeah, I am good enough to get to heaven. You know, I can make it on my own. So they don't have the assurance of eternal life. Except like in Islam, the only way that you can be assured that you are saved is to die in holy war, in jihad, as a martyred uh, lover of Allah. That's the only way you know. Then, then uh, the... It's up to Allah in the end. You try your best and Allah makes the decision. And every Muslim you will ever meet does not know if they're going to heaven unless they blow themselves up. Something in common too uh, with Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and Islam is they all believe the Bible that we have today has been corrupted. Has been corrupted. And so uh, Jehovah's Witness have their own version of the Bible called the New World Translation, NWT, that their own scholars have put together. And they go through, and anything that looks like it's, it's deity of, of Christ, they change or add a word or take this away. Um, and so uh, if you're talking with them and you have them open up the Bible to John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was a word, the word was with God, the word was God, uh, they have a different translation for that. And so they can say, well, my Bible says this. Um, and that just helps perpetuate their teaching. It's been altered because of those issues, because when you hold up the Bible, there's a problem. So when I've talked to Jehovah's Witnesses or, uh, or Mormons, I say, and they say the Bible's been corrupted, I usually say when, and then they try to you know, blame a certain period of time, 
Uh, and if you know anything about uh, uh, bibliology, you can say, you know, we have completed manuscripts from 325 AD of the Bible. Um, when was this corrupted and how was it corrupted all over the world? There's manuscripts all over the world because Christians would uh, copy this, these letters, and then they would take them back with them and they'd be everywhere. And so we have copies and copies and copies, thousands of copies and fragments of the New Testament. That's right, about 5,800 copies, arranging from anywhere from a little scribble, and the average is about 300 pages. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, so what I like to ask them is just say, so you're telling me that the Bible was corrupted somewhere around 300 A.D., and then for 1,200 years, 1,500 years, God didn't do anything about it? Not even in the Old Testament do we see God be silent or allow his word to be corrupted for 1,500 years. And you're telling me that in the 1900s or in the 1800s that uh, God appeared and said, hey, it's been corrupted and I'm showing up on scene now. Now I've decided to do something about it. He said his word will never pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will never pass away. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so what you're mm -hmm. telling me then is for 1,500 years, mm -hmm. the gates of hell prevailed mm -hmm. to the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses because both of them say that their prophet restored with their new truth and revelations. Right. So it's a good, the gates of hell will not prevail is a good argument when they say our guy came in to restore uh, the truth. Well, sorry, Jesus said... Uh, there would be some dark times, but that there'd always be a witness on the earth of the truth. Yeah, Do you want to go question. out with a, with a boom? One more, one more question. Right. Back. One yeah, more question. More questions. We've got about five minutes or so left. Yeah, a little over five minutes. Um, I have, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, several people um, have this objection and it kind of stops me in my tracks. Um, and it's very humanistic and logical thinking, which I respect. But so um, the objection is, okay, so God already foreknew all of this stuff was going to happen. He already mm -hmm. knew Noah, the flood, wiping out the earth. Mm -hmm. And humanity would continue in their wickedness and evilness for generation after generation. And, and it's going to keep going. And, and um, he knew how few would choose his path. Mm -hmm. And because the road is narrow, and um, how Whoa. could how could I meaning this is how, their question to me? How could mm -hmm. I believe in a in a quote loving God? What kind of loving God is that that He's going to wipe away most of the people mm -hmm. on the earth because they do not believe in Jesus I, Christ? Mm -hmm. I tell them I never judge God by the condition of the earth and wicked people. I judge God by what He did through Christ. I look at Christ and say, that's God dying for the sins of the world to give them the opportunity not to perish. And so mm -hmm. for God letting the world go on, it must have been worth the risk to him mm -hmm. that those who died in Adam could be born mm -hmm. and have a shot. Because we died, we were all in Adam. When Adam died spiritually, we died. Right? So instead of just saying waking up in hell, which is one of the options, mm -hmm. I'm sure that could have happened. He said, let them all be born. Let them all be born. And I'll come into the world to redeem and call them out. And those who, who believe will come out and those who, who don't. But look at the love demonstrated mm -hmm. 
you know, I like to say, you know, think of it this way. The earth is like, um, uh, well, picture it this way, that God is like a landlord who is benevolent and kind, and he, and he gives this palatial estate over to some people to rent and to, to live in. And so they come in and they trash the place. They don't pay their rent. They have garbage piling up everywhere. They just destroy the place. And then people walk by and they blame the landlord for the dump that it's become and the tenants that are in there who are wicked and corrupt and ungrateful. So I always say, don't blame who's responsible, you know? Yeah. And, and then if you want to judge the kind of God he is, how can I believe in a God like a, The question is, how could I, how, how, what kind of God would come into a world like this and lay down his life mm-hmm. and die on us? So judge God's character by the cross, not by the wickedness that is a choice of right. the tenets, yeah. right? Yeah, that's great. And that's a great question. That's probably one of the most popular questions that come up. There's really two questions there. One is, one you're kind of asking, if God foreknew everything, then why even bother? That's the popular question that comes up. And the reason is, is because just because he foreknew it doesn't mean he forced it to happen. He just knows because he's God. He's omniscient and omnipotent, which means he's all-knowing and all-powerful. He has to know what's going to happen. That's part of his nature. But he takes delight in watching us work out our lives and choose to honor him and to receive him. He takes delight in that. There's a lot of things I give my son a choice to do, and I know what he's going to choose, but I still delight in watching him make that choice. So just as a human standpoint, we, we could see that. Mm-hmm. And why even bother? And Pastor Ross touched on this. God, you know, there's some mystery to these things that we'll only know when we get there. Further along, you know, we'll understand why. But the reality is that God, in his infinite wisdom, um, decided that he wanted to share his love with somebody. He didn't need to, just wanted to. And he thought it was better to have some people in heaven and some people in hell than to have no people in heaven and all people in hell or all people in heaven and no people in hell because there has to be free will involved. The second part of the question is, if God is so good, why is there evil? And this is a great way to address that question is to turn the question back on to the person because we're not the only ones that have to deal with the problem of evil. Evil exists whether you're a Christian or not. Right. So you can say to them, well, what is your worldview about evil? Why do you, be- why do you believe evil exists? Right. And what is your solution to evil? And they might share things like I've heard, well, more education, people are ignorant, they just need to understand. I'm like, you probably believe in evolution, right? And they say, yeah. I said, you, so you have a longer time frame than I do. Like any time in that time frame of humanity, has there ever been a solution? Has your solution ever worked? Has more education, more, you know, more socialism, more con- has that ever worked? And uh, the answer is no. And how do you think it's going to get fixed? So we have an answer. Yeah, there is evil in the world. I have to face it. But here's my worldview. I believe in a just and merciful God who at one day is going to end the problem of evil. He's going to deal with it. He's going to make everything right. There will be no question unanswered regarding justice. He will make it all right. One day he's going to do that. And that's the God that I put my hope and trust in. So I have assurance that evil is going to end. What's your assurance of the of the end of evil? Yeah, so, I like to ask atheists, so what's your plan? How did we all get here? I just want, I'm curious. And then I say, you know, bro, you have more faith than I do. And they're like, oh, how's that possible? I say, well, you believe that nothing plus nobody equals everything and everybody. I said, bro, that's a lot of faith. Yeah. That's more than I have. Right. 
Yeah, because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Nothing can't make something, right? And so, yeah, and when they say things like, um, there's no such thing as absolute truth, I just say, is that an absolute? Because yeah. we, there's yeah. no such thing as an absolute truth. Oh, yeah. really? So, so then what you just said can't be an absolute truth because mm -hmm. there's no such thing yeah. as are it, you, right? Yeah. Are you absolutely sure about that? Okay, right? when yes, you I'm get sure. home, your wife will explain to you <laughs> what that just meant. Uh, you mentioned logic, you know, and reason. I, and in Isaiah, God says, let, come, let us reason together. So one thing we didn't touch on very much tonight is the chasm between so-called science and religion. If you look at the Bible, there is no chasm between science and religion. Science literally means knowledge, but the type of knowledge by observation. So we see things and we come to an understanding. Science is wrongfully called science today in that it's interpreting what we see with a presupposition that there is no God. And I make an interpretation off of what I see. And just a little plug. Um, to your new book? Yeah, to my new book. <laughs> it's available for sale in the lobby. Love proceeds go to a I wouldn't be surprised family. if someday. Yeah. Someday. Um, uh, we're hoping to, on October 30th, have a, a creationist geologist. Actually, if you guys know Joe Austin, his, his brother, Steve Austin, Dr. Steve Austin, he's a geologist. He spent his life studying theology and, and from an, started it from an evolutionary standpoint and was convinced of the truth of creationism and has actually pioneered a lot of things concerning research in the Grand Canyon. He's an expert on Mount St. Helens, which is a miniature laboratory. In 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted and it's a miniature laboratory of the rest of catastrophic events on, on the earth. He's gonna come and share with us on, on, the, on 10.30, so there'll be a touch of that within, within that if you guys are kind of uh, looking, looking for that to happen, so. We've run out of time, yeah. but you know, we'd do this again if you'd come out. Yeah. Yeah? So what we could do is we can have like a potluck themes, you know? It could be Italian night or something. It could be um, maybe a different theme or, or just open it up to any and all questions. Yeah. I, I had a few questions we didn't have time Yeah, for, and if you had questions didn't, we didn't have time to answer, we'll be around. Email. So you can come and you can come and talk to us tonight. Yeah. I'd be happy to talk to you, show you some of the resources that I'd recommend and that sort of thing. Let's stand and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, tonight we're so glad to be encouraged by your word and of your great love and the truth that sets our hearts free, that anchors our souls, eternal life. God, we pray for our friends and our family, our co-workers that are on our hearts that we're specifically right now thinking about and lifting to you. We don't want anybody to perish. We don't want our friends deceived into lies and banking their eternal souls on on things that cannot save. We pray for them. We pray that your hand of mercy would intercede, that you would open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears and, and convict them of their error, God, and their emptiness and their unbelief and help them, Lord, to have open eyes and to embrace the truth and turn away from falsehood and use us in the process, God, we're, we're willing. Use our mouths and our tongues, our, our words, and also the way we love. So we, we submit these dear ones to you, God. Would you uh, have mercy upon them and upon us as well? We don't want to see them perish. So help us and we commit them to you and our lives as evangelists. 
in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. that's what I'm talking about. All right, praise the Lord. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 